Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, the sole survivor of a brutal murder identified three white men as the attackers. So why did police ignore those suspects and put a young black man on death row? It's Wednesday, May 30th. On the morning of June 5th, 1983, in Chino Hills, California, Bill and Mary Ann Hughes were a little bit concerned because their 11-year-old son had not come back from a sleepover at a neighbor's. Nick Kristoff is a columnist for The Times. So at about noon, the dad, Bill Hughes, drove over to pick up his son. Mm -hmm. Nobody answered the door, so he looked through the sliding glass doors, and all he saw was red. It dawned on him what he was seeing. He kicked down the door. He rushed to the body of his son, who had been stabbed to death. Doug and Peggy Ryan, both 41, were found in their home hacked to death, along with their 10-year-old daughter, Jessica, and a young neighbor, 11-year-old Christopher Hughes. And the other son, Josh Ryan, the 8-year-old host of the sleepover, had had his throat slashed and his head bashed in, but he was still moving. One subject is still alive. We have four paramedics working on right now. Is there one subject still alive? It was about as gruesome a murder as one can have. And was there immediately an idea of who had done this, a a suspect that everyone seized on? There were some clues almost right away. Nothing was taken from the Ryan house except the family's station wagon. We're looking for the, the Ryan automobile. The Ryan station wagon had been stolen And several people had seen three white people inside that station wagon driving it away. Mm -hmm. There were people who had seen three white people at a bar with bloody clothing. Wow. And then soon afterward, a woman called up and said that she believed that her boyfriend had been involved in the murders. He was a white man who had recently been released from prison for murdering Mm -hmm. a 17-year-old. And he had come home late on the night of the killings in a vehicle that resembled the Ryan station wagon. And he had left his bloody coveralls on the floor. On top of that, Josh, the kid who survived, said that three or four white men had done this. When we got to the point of asking him how many people were there, I went one, two, three, and he squeezed my hand. While he was recuperating, 
Josh maintained that there were three attackers. And so the police initially put out a bulletin looking for three white killers. And were those three white suspects arrested? No. Instead, they arrested a 25-year-old black man, Kevin Cooper, who two days before the killings had escaped from a minimum security prison where he was serving a sentence for burglary. Got up in the morning, ate breakfast, and I was just walking around, minding my business and just walking. And then I got to a certain part of the prison, and I looked up, and there was a, a fence, and there was a big asshole in the fence. Hmm. So when I seen that hole in the fence, I just went through it. Mm-hmm. That, that That's it. I mean, there wasn't no, no breakout or nothing. It had that hole not been there, I would not have left. And, and where did you go next after you walked through? I ran down the road. Mm-hmm. I ran down the road. Ran down the road, just ran down the road. And then I ended up in a neighborhood. Now, I don't even know how I got in the neighborhood, but I was there. But then I saw that house, and I went in there. So Cooper flees the prison, and he hides out in an abandoned house, mm-hmm. which, unfortunately for him, is just 125 yards away from the crime scene. Mm. I think that police simply looked at this, and it was just too much of a coincidence. How could it be that you have a, a desperate, escaped felon who just happens to be staying in an abandoned house so close to where this brutal crime unfolds? And frankly, I think there was also an element of racism They looked at the mugshot of Kevin Cooper, and here's this young man. His rap sheet showed that he'd been arrested ever since he was seven years old. He'd had a long criminal history. And I think they just decided, this is it. I was a criminal, not a murderer. I'm ashamed of a lot of things that I've done in my life as an uneducated, miseducated person. Did I disrespect people? Yes, I disrespected people. Have I hurt people emotionally and psychologically and all that stuff? Yes. So I got a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a murderer. That's real. So the police are looking for Kevin Cooper, but they're not finding a lot of evidence linking him to the murder scene. They don't find fingerprints of him. They don't find his hairs. They search the house where he was staying, and initially they don't find any evidence. They search the car that had belonged to the Ryans that had been stolen. Initially, they don't find anything there either. Hmm. And then, mysteriously, evidence begins to appear. They find a hatchet sheath that they had missed the first time and a prison uniform button. And they also find cigarette butts that he had apparently smoked. I think the authorities thought they were acting on the side of justice. I think they thought that Kevin Cooper was a multiple murderer, and they were frustrated by the lack of evidence to show that. So I think they helped the process along a little bit. So you believe from your reporting that the police department planted evidence against Kevin Cooper, having concluded in in their minds that he did it and that they were doing a public service by putting evidence there that would make it possible for them to arrest and convict him. That's exactly right. Hmm. I was scared to death. I mean, for the first time in my life, I experienced racism in a way I've never 
experienced it before. Mm-hmm. I experienced it by a look on a person's eyes. You know, those cops, Sergeant Billy Arthur and his crew from San Bernardino County. You know, when they came to get me, and the way they treated me all the way from that drive from Santa Barbara all the way back down to San Bernardino. Then when I got down there, they had signs out there, signs of a gorilla hunger effigy and all this type of stuff. You know, I, I wasn't going to have no fair trial. If it was up to those people there, they took me out and hung me right there, you know? This, this is the mentality that those people had back then in 1983. So I knew I was in trouble. He is tried. In the end, the jurors said that if there had been one less piece of evidence against him, they might have voted to acquit. Kevin Cooper has been convicted on four counts of murder and one count of attempted murder. They took a week to convict him. A jury has to decide whether Cooper should be sentenced to the gas chamber. And then he was sentenced to death. And so he was scheduled to be executed in 2004. Yes, February 10th, 2004. Mm-hmm. My life was on the clock. And that day, I got up, brushed my teeth and all that stuff, you know, drank some coffee, and about eight or nine officers showed up with pepper spray strapped to them and, you know, all this and that, and placed me in a, in a, in a chair. There was all types of food in, the, in, in that room that morning. I mean, it was halfway up the wall with so much food. I guess they wanted me to eat their food is in celebration since it was supposed to be my last day, but mm. I didn't eat their food, and I refused your last meal. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. So they took me in the back after I said all my goodbyes to, to everybody, and one group of officers passed me off to another group of officers. There was like six on each side, and they marched me like maybe 150 yards to the death chamber waiting room. They opened the door. And they marched me in, and then I was in there with the volunteer executioners. Hmm. I had waist chains on, and I was handcuffed, and shackles around my feet. And that death chamber waiting room was so cold, it was freezing in there. It was mm-hmm. like a morgue. See me? So I get a phone from Hold on. No, it's the guard trying to tell me I got five minutes left. I said, no, I got the phone until 5 o'clock. So, Good. So, um, and they made me strip naked. Hmm. And move out into the middle of the floor. Now I'm surrounded by these executioners. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of reading of black history. And almost every book I read, there comes a time when a slave is on an oxen block. And some of them were butt naked. And some of them were, were examined from head to toe and all parts in between. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did to me. They examined my nostrils, my ear holes. They made me open my mouth and stick my tongue out and shine that flashlight down there. They searched my penis and my testicles. They made me turn around and wiggle my toes and then bend over and spread my butt cheeks so wide. And the dude got down on his knees and shine a flashlight up my butt, illuminating my bowels. They say they're looking for contraband, right? Mm-hmm. But they're, just, they're not looking for contraband, in my opinion. They're dehumanizing me further, showing me that my body is not my own that they can do with it whatever they want. That was the most demeaning process I ever went through in my life. And it's your final moments, conceivably, on Earth. But they don't give a damn about that. They don't give a damn about that. 
And how much how much time do you have now until you're supposed to be executed? Uh, it's a quarter to seven, so I got like maybe what five hours and fifteen minutes left, or something like that. And I got a big old clock in there, and I'm watching the, the second hand go around. And, that, and my pastor's in the next cage, and I'm listening to her praying for the executioners and praying for me. And you have sixty seconds remaining. And I just stayed there in that cold room, waiting and waiting and waiting. Every time a minute goes by, it brings me one minute closer to being strapped down to that gurney and being tortured with lethal poison and murdered by these people. You know? I also watched the lieutenant take cotton swabs and other things such as that. As as you have 30 seconds remaining. Alcohol pads and all that type of stuff to that room where the death chamber was materials they would use to, to kill you. Yeah, I watched all that. Hey, the phone's already cut off. Let me call you back, all right? We'll be right back. This fall, history is happening. September 14th, 2021. Hamilton, the Tony, Grammy, Olivier, and Pulitzer Prize-winning musical, returns to Broadway. Tickets are on sale now. Performances begin September 14th. Hamilton, back on Broadway at the Richard Rogers Theater. Learn more at hamiltonmusical.com. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Kevin? Kevin? Yes. Hey, it's Michael again. So, so you're seeing this happen, and, and, and you're watching the clock, and you're seeing these materials move around, and, and, then, and then what happens? Then the phone rang out of the blue. Oh, yeah, it was my attorney, um, Jeannie Sternberg. Oh. oh, she told me that she just heard from the United States Supreme Court had just, well, I would not be executed that night. Now, I immediately looked at the prison guards and I said, I mean you guys, no disrespect, but you're not going to do your job tonight. And that's how my night ended that night. Before me, everybody else who walked in there, every inmate walked in there, came out in a body bag. I was the first one to ever walk in there, then turn around and walk out. The court granted a stay to find out whether Kevin Cooper's blood on that T-shirt came from him or came from a test tube of his blood that had been taken by the sheriff's department after he was arrested. And so the court said that they could test that blood stain to see if it had a blood preservative called EDTA Mm -hmm. in it. It preserves the blood in a test tube. Exactly. And so this was basically an attempt to see was that blood planted or did he bleed in the commission of the crime? So what happens when they actually do retest this T-shirt? They find elevated EDTA 
in that bloodstain. So hmm. it seems to have come not from Kevin Cooper's arteries or veins, but rather from the test tube that had been taken of his blood held by the sheriff's department. That would suggest that the evidence of blood on this T-shirt was planted. Was planted. And to to back that up, they went back to the test tube that had been taken and they checked the blood that was in it. And it turned out now to have the blood of two or more people. So it seemed that some blood had been spilled out on that shirt. And then to top it up, they put somebody else's blood in it so that it wouldn't be suspiciously low. Hmm. So what happens to Kevin Cooper after that discovery? Well, at this point, his judicial appeals have essentially run out. Hmm. So he is making political appeals to allow the evidence to be tested using advanced techniques that hadn't existed before. Mm -hmm. And so he makes these appeals of Governor Schwarzenegger, who at the end of his term says, well, this is actually pretty serious, but I don't have enough time left in office, and I Mm -hmm. hope my successors will review this carefully. He appeals to Kamala Harris when she is attorney general of California, and her office refuses to allow advanced DNA testing. He appeals to Governor Brown. And one of the reasons I wrote about this case is this is not Alabama. This is not Mississippi. This is not Texas. This is a blue Democratic state. This is California. This is a Democratic liberal governor, Jerry Brown, who was refusing to allow testing. Kamala Harris before that. And so people for whom liberal policies around law enforcement have become kind of default. Absolutely. So let's see whether we manage to get justice in California under a Democratic governor. And that will be a measure of the degree to which things have changed, to which there has been real progress in criminal justice on race since 1983. So it seems pretty clear from what you've said and from your reporting that the police planted evidence against Cooper. But for years now, many high-level figures would seem to have known this or have been brought evidence of it. And Cooper is still on death row. Are we missing anything here about why that would be the case? Is there a version of this story where perhaps evidence was planted, but Cooper is indeed guilty of this crime? I'm I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around why so many smart people in positions of power could have known so much of what you're now bringing forward. And yet here we are. He's still on death row. You know, I've been racking my brain to try to understand how this could happen. It's such an egregious case Mm -hmm. of framing of an innocent man on death row. And I can't come up with any explanation other than just the degree to which institutionally, once somebody is found guilty, there is this resistance to defense appeals. And the system kind of sets in motion this process that ends up with somebody on a trajectory to be executed. What's been the reaction since you wrote this story for the time, since you revealed everything that you have found? Kamala Harris called me up the next day to say she felt terrible about the case. She issued a statement calling for advanced DNA testing in the case. So reversing herself from her time as attorney general of California. That's correct. And several other California politicians have done the same, a candidate for governor, a candidate for attorney general. Senator Dianne Feinstein, the other senator, has done the same. Jerry Brown has not spoken. Hmm. The San Bernardino County district attorney put out a a statement saying that Kevin Cooper is guilty, that there should not be testing. Hmm. So he's sticking with the conclusions of this case despite everything. 
That's exactly right. Kevin, since Nick published his story in The Times, Senator Kamala Harris has come forward and she has urged Governor Brown to do what you're asking. Right. And and in response to that, Michael Ramos said it can't be tested. And we haven't heard anything else from from the governor's office, but I'd like to say this. When Camilla Harris was the attorney general, and my case was taken to her, she turned her back on it too. Hmm. So she has no room to talk. Mm-hmm. So you're not as appreciative you know? as she might think. No, I'm not. Because this should have been done. Do you think that you have a chance now? No. 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 I think this may have hastened uh, my date with death. You do? Yes. Why? Because you don't understand this system the way I do. What The man didn't say, yes, we'll test it. He said, no, we can't test Mm -hmm. it. So he wants everything to stay as it is. It's like we're not playing checkers, man. We're playing chess. But every time they make a move, we counter that move with another strong move. And every time we make a move, they do something. So in your mind, the more the situation moves theoretically towards justice, the more the system finds a way to move away from justice, to to kind of keep the status quo. And just because I believe that I'm still going to be uh, murdered by these people doesn't mean that I can't try to expose what they did to me and what they're doing to me and what they want to do to me in this so-called justice system. I wonder, when you think about all that's happened to you, who in your mind do you blame? Me. Yourself. First and foremost, I blame Kevin Cooper. And and, and not because I'm a murderer. No. I blame myself for putting myself in a position for the system they get their hands on me. Mm. Once they got their hands on me, they did the rest. But if I had not have ever uh, walked away from that prison, or if I had not have been a, a small-time criminal in my teenage years and all that stuff and put myself in a position for these people to assassinate my character and dehumanize me and do what they wanted to do with me, I would not be here. Mm-hmm. So I have to blame myself, first and foremost, and I do. And, and, and there's a lot of times when I get up in the morning and look in that mirror, man, I get angry with me, even though I love me and I'm my own best friend in this joint. Sometimes I'm very upset with me mm-hmm. and I'm ashamed of me. Kevin, what do you want to happen now? What are you asking for? I'm asking for a fair trial, man. I'm not even asking for these people to let me go. I'm asking for them to give me what... They said I could have when they put it on paper all those centuries ago. A fair trial. Mm-hmm. Due process. Kevin, I, I really want to thank you for, for talking to me. You've called us many times to make this work. It's, it's logistically challenging for you, and, and we're so grateful for your time. I'm really glad uh, we spoke. Uh, Thank you very much. I'm very grateful, too. In the system, that's what they do. They interrupt. (laughs) That's their job, man. They interrupt. 
Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good night. I hope we can do this again. I hope so, too. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you very much, man. Okay. Bye. Peace out. Kevin Cooper remains on death row as Governor Jerry Brown reviews his request for additional DNA testing. Last week, the San Bernardino District Attorney, Mike Ramos, filed a petition opposing such testing, citing, quote, false claims from Cooper and his propaganda machine designed to undermine public confidence in the just verdict. Here's what else you need to know today. On Tuesday, North Korea's top nuclear weapons negotiator, Kim Jong-chul, arrived in New York to meet with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, the strongest signal yet that a possible June 12th summit with President Trump may still occur. Kim Jong-chul is officially barred from entering the U.S. because of sanctions put in place in 2010 following accusations that he was responsible for torpedoing a South Korean Navy vessel, which killed 46 people. And in the latest effort to count the dead from Hurricane Maria, researchers on Tuesday estimated that the storm killed 4,600 people in Puerto Rico last year, many of them from delayed medical care. That figure is dramatically higher than the official Puerto Rican government tally, which found that just 64 people had been killed because of the hurricane. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. When times became uncertain, Womply pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Womply has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Womply helps small businesses thrive. Visit Womply.com to learn more.